for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, y'all, to our Elk Hunting Mentality, Mistakes, and Mentors series. The goal of this series is to take our actual boots on the ground from the 2023 season experiences, experience we see as coaches, as well as experience from special guests, and help you learn, prepare, and get on that success train in 2024. Y'all, this is as real as it gets. So buckle up. It's a full house tonight, and we are ready to ride. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, and coming to you tonight, we've got the Venezuelan mafia in the house, Mr. <laughs> Luis Gonzalez and Manano Graterón. We got the legend from Cuesta, New Mexico, R.C. Knox. And that's right, we got the Cali transplant in Colorado, the man with the golden voice, Mr. Guy Duplanche is in the house. We've got our elk hunting coaches with us, Chab, the Ninja Chavez, and WWJGD sitting right next to me, Joe Gillia. And joining us tonight, Joe, also we got KK, Cody, the kid, Kirk Patrick in the house, one of our elk bros uh, hunting coaches with us, and Joe Tell us who we got as our special guest tonight. So, so everybody knows, um, actually met Aaron. Um, I met him probably, gosh, are we on two years or is it, is it three now, man? Is it two years, right? Uh, maybe it's three years. I don't know. Yeah, three years, be, three years actually. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it met him on a hunt and I tell you, you know, what I loved about this whole meeting was, 
This is a guy that loves elk hunting. He's not an actual elk hunt. This is a guy that has passion for elk hunting. He has passion for hunting western game. He lives and breathes and understands, like we do, what it is to be out there, what it is to do it, what it takes to meet the demands of hunting out here in the west. And he approaches me, and he starts telling me about this exciting company that he was becoming involved with, man. And... Uh, when he started talking about the venture and he was like, well, you know, we've heard about, uh, your little redneck group, the elk bros there. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And he's like, you know, uh, we were wondering if you guys would be interested in helping us to kind of see, develop the, our product as we're going, try it out. Um, would you be interested in doing that, taking part in that? Shoot, man, when you start talking me, camo, elk honey, I'm like, Bro, oh, <laughs> I'm your huckleberry, right? I'm your huckleberry. So, you know, it was funny because we kind of talked a little bit and, you know, COVID happened. COVID set a lot of things back. And and I think we all kind of had a blank during that session that time of year. And then all of a sudden I start getting some phone calls and he hooks me up to a guy on his team. And they introduced me to 2 Gear. And, you know, look, y'all – um, when this happened and, and Steve gives me a call and says, yep. yeah, I want to send you guys some 2.0 gear. You know, the first thing I told Aaron and the first thing I told Steve is, look, you know, you're sending this to our crew. We have, I'm everybody that's watching this on YouTube. Take a look at this group, a wide variety of people all over different places, hunting, different hunting styles, hunt different animals. We all hunt elk, but man, you're chasing South Texas whitetail, you know. Uh, yeah, man. Um up there guys chasing those muleys up there. He's been man, he's been all over the doggone Colorado mountains. We were in Canada, um chasing moose. Chasing moose, chasing elk, come back to New Mexico, Cody the kids down there in that oak brush country. Ooh. You know, I mean, oh. and and you've got different age groups, body sizes, all of this stuff. And let me tell you what I told Steve, what I told Aaron is, you know, guys, you got to understand something. We don't hold back. Um, when we talk to people about products that we use, it's because we use them. We believe in them. And we're going to talk about those things. And, man, I, you know, they felt so good about their product. They're like. Have at it, you know, take it to the test, do what you want with us. Tell us what you don't like, because yeah. we want to work on that. Christmas it, came it, early. Christmas bro. came early. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> yeah. I mean, amazing, dude. I got to Canada and Joe had all the gear. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Joe. <laughs> in, my, in my tub. And, man, I was like a kid in a candy store going through that stuff, man. Yeah, same so awesome, It was very man. cool. And thank you enough, Mr. Aaron. So we had, thank we, you. we were too old out basically and and we really you know it's funny because all of us you know guy calls me and as soon as guy takes it out of the box guys like well i don't know and that you know and you know because (laughs) guy is guy yeah yeah you know absolutely man luis was like well i don't and and then we we put it on well first of all let me let me before we get too deep into this like that i gotta finish introducing this guy because Aaron Amber has spent 20 years, y'all, in the outdoors industry working with top brands, all hunt apparel industry, and most recently, 
leading all of this up to these efforts. So all of this history, all of this experience that he has had for 20 years in the outdoors industry, he is pumping his blood into 2-0 gear. And Aaron, welcome to the show tonight. Welcome. Glad to have you joining us. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Do you guys have a secret handshake or a dab or something you need to do? <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the time together with you tonight. And it's uh, 10.09 Eastern here, so I'm excited to have a 10 o'clock conversation with you. Um, you know, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for the introduction, you know, and, I, and I, I'm just going to correct Joe, the coach, on one thing, which is I remember one of the things the coach said uh, early on when we're having this conversation, he goes, you know, you know, we, we don't get behind a lot of things and especially things that we're not quite sure of. And, you know, I trust Aaron, but I want to see the gear. So, I mean, just kind of kudos to kind of your bar that you all set that, you know, you're real people doing real things. And what I think is important about that is gear's got to work to go do and pursue what you want to do. And I'm, you know, I know we had some little conversation prior to the, the cast tonight. Um, I'm just glad what I heard from you and I'm glad you're out there doing it because we've all done it. I'm living a little bit vicariously through you guys anymore because I used to do it way more than I used to do it. But, you know, I was cut and, and, uh, raised on the plains of, uh, Western South Dakota, spent a lot of time in Wyoming and Colorado chasing whether it's pronghorns on the prairies or mule their spot stock on the riverbanks or elk in the mountains. So not only do I have a lot of professional experience in this category. I have a lot of personal passion for it, and it's exciting when we start talking about application of gear in the field and, and at least some of your preliminary feedback to, to me. It's, 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 it feels really good because it, it seems easy. It ain't easy, um, but look forward to the conversation tonight, Joe. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why I had you on is, you know, first of all, we wanted to have you on to talk about a little bit about 2.0 because people have seen us wearing it. People have been asking us about it. I want them to see one of the men behind this product and understand, you know, when people see a product, they generally see this giant, you know, corp and everything. But this is a, a person. This is a dream. This is authentic, you know, um, and investment in this. And like you said, you have that passion. And the thing is, is tonight, you know, we're going to be talking about elk hunting. And I wanted you there for that because of, your experiences and your passion and, and bring that in. And at the same time, we get to, you know, tell you thank you. Um, we have a lot of conversation ahead of us because as far as we're concerned, you've invested in us yeah. and we want to help you to make that product the best product there is out there. So, um, and let me tell you what, um, you know, from everybody on the, the crew here, uh, and, I've already mentioned it, man. Uh, that the pattern, you know, when honest to God, when I first saw the pattern, I looked at it, there was things like, Oh, it's too brown. Uh, will it break up? And then we started putting it out there and started looking at it in the field, awesome. you know, different things uh, like that. Absolutely yeah, guy. awesome. Everybody with too much brown and tans, like everybody thinks it needs to be green, but look at Absolutely. the animals we're pursuing. This and, is exactly what I told Big O the other day. And and it is there is green in it, man. Yeah. But there's the, green, but not not much. Yeah, it's green from it. here and not green from there. Yes, right, yeah. right. Yeah. right. Yeah. What I'd like to know, Aaron, is 
where the concept came from, a 50,000 foot view of that, right? Where the concept yeah. came from, give you a, a short second to kind of lay that on us and then we'll get into our content. Yeah, well, we, you know, definitely the concept happened pre-COVID and we have some other brands that we definitely deal with and we're in the marketplace and doing other things in the, in the outdoor industry as relates to, uh, performance apparel. And we really just saw a niche out there and we saw a niche with, we wanted to develop gear and everyone says it to, you know, make sure you put the right ingredients into a product that actually works for the pursuit. And it's very easily said it's very hard done because at the end of the day, it's a pant and a jacket or it might be a top and a bottom. And it's very basic on the, on the surface level. However, we're been dealing with fabrics for a long time and we're a fabric first company. Um, and I, and maybe others said it, but you find the right fabrics. And you put two sleeves and, and, and a main body on it or two yeah. legs and a, and, and it comes together. So I will tell you our depth of knowledge on fabric development and making sure the stretch is right, where it's two way, it's four way, which vertical stretch, horizontal stretch, how the shape of it is, how the patterns are cut and how you manufacture it. And then make sure it has the durability or the breathability. Um, to ultimately deliver performance. Uh, we believe there was a niche there and it does start with camo. Um, big O, you, you guys all mentioned it and it, it's funny. We talk about greens and I, I think greens are important from a shelf appeal because I think when anyone comes up to a piece of camel, they want to look like their natural environment, but we're all making that decision from three foot away. And what's interesting about the green is it is important. I'm not going to minimize this, but I'm just being real with you dudes because this is real conversation. Green's important at a shelf level. In other words, looking at and saying that looks like where I hunt. But then the day, I call it the three foot, 30 foot, and 30 yards. And and when you get to 30 yards, and we can even talk, it's really more like 50 and 100 for, it's all about the lights and the darks and the, right. and the way it breaks it up. Contrast. And, yep. and ultimately, verse, we call it verse camel, because I don't care if you're in South Texas, I don't right. care if you're subalpine, alpine, we've even done quite a bit of photography in, in the whitetail woods, believe it or not, in late season, early season. And we call it verse because we believe it's a very versatile pattern that works early season. I mean, I was using an antelope hunting in South Dakota uh, in September, and unbelievably, the antelope rut at the same time the elk rut. So I'm out there chasing antelope on the Western Plains, decoying them during rut. And my dad's taking pictures with my 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 zoom lens of me out in the in the prairie. It's just unbelievable. I'm in. I'm in western grass in open prairies and seeing the effectiveness to there to they go your your Texas environment to what you guys saw during the elk season. It's pretty amazing to watch somebody else from afar on a pursuit and you're like, Holy holy crap, that looks really good. Yes. So we got to hunt with the boys from Canada and they were, you know, all over the place with what they're wearing, right? But one of the things that they commented on us wearing the two gear was Oh my gosh, y'all just, y'all disappear when you get in the woods, right? Our our hosts that were with me and RC, RC and I hunted a lot together and, uh, and they they were like, man, this is amazing. Y'all don't have all the greens that, and they were, most of them guys were wearing the Kuyu stuff, right? With the real Uh bright green and everything. And then, you know, I talked to guy in camp the other day and he's like, Big O, think about a white-tailed deer or a mule deer or an the elk. The gray, the brown, the pants, yeah. yeah. How well they slip up on you in the woods and you never know they're there. And a lot of times yeah. 
call them, I call them ground deer because I look up and they came out of the ground. Where'd they come from? Right. They're so right. camouflaged walking through the woods in those tans and grays and a little, you know, even a silver or gray white hue, you yeah. know, all of that stuff breaks you up. And, and I think that's the key is breaking the silhouette up and putting <clears throat> it in to the background. So I know? tell everybody, man, look, if you, when you're going to pick camo, don't look at anything other than go there, squint your eyes, and take a look mm. at the distance of the contrast. How does it break up? Does it when because when you squint your eyes, it kind of darkens everything, yeah. Yeah. and you get a chance yeah. to break up in the lights and the darks. And some things just immediately just blob together. And uh, and and you know we've done our hand a little bit in camo ourselves a little bit, and that's been the whole idea is the contrast, the break up, and. <clears throat> And you can tell the science behind the two O as well. Yeah, how that is happening like that. Uh, absolutely. Well, you, and don't judge me, guys. This is this is not fair, but I have to say it also has to look good. Um, because let's let's, let's let's just call. I mean, men, men by because we're visual creatures, right? They gave me guff. They give me guff because I got to be matchy matchy, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, I always play the A card first. It has to be authentic. But being real with you guys as well is where you can strike authenticity, in other words, effectiveness in the field, and you can have something that actually looks good. Yeah. Like it actually looks different than anything out there. And yeah. it's not so over the edge. You're like, man, that's almost weird. And people are proud and feel like they're sexy when they're taking mm-hmm. pictures. I mean, I think that's the ultimate convergence of looking good, being well, effective like that and, <laughs> and being right there. And Manano, you know, he's our model. Oh, Manano's models. The... Hey, look, I, I got some video I shot with Joe that I, I did with RC Knox wearing your gear. And I'm telling you, it is some of the coolest 2.0 video that you'll find that you'll be able to use, you know, from, and it'll have the legend in it, man. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really good stuff shot in the field. So I, I want to get the so model. Look at the model right there. I saw your can of pictures and I, I'm, I'm not being braggish here. But I'm telling you, our pattern, I forget what group picture it was in Canada where you had all sorts of different camels mm-hmm. behind that elk. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not just saying this, but our camo looked really good. It does. Yeah. It does. It does. It does. It does. Yeah. So, 100%. so besides, besides the, uh, you know, that, <laughs> what I want to tell people is this, you know, um, for example, Chav, was in uh, in a stand, um, basically just sitting, you know, with some branches and stuff to break up and everything that was there. And Chav, you you had a, an experience with a whitetail in Alberta. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm. Yeah, that's true. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm uh, limited uh, mobility wise, so I had a ground line, so I'm on level with the animals. And uh, yeah, I had a, a trophy whitetail. Uh, buck and a smaller buck come in, I'd say 20 paces. And, uh, I think, it, uh, they're pretty familiar with the area. So, uh, you know, I think I saw him glance over towards me a couple of times and then he turned around and kind of stared in my direction. But 20 paces, he never spooked. You know, he kind of knew something was up and he stomped his foot. I'm talking white but tail. He, yeah, he hung around the area for about 20 minutes, you know, 
uh, he put his head down, drank some water, and just fed. And the whole time the wind was actually blowing towards them. And I don't know if it was the, uh, the smoke from the British Columbia fires that maybe helped with that, but he never sent it to me. And, uh, I was completely in, uh, the, uh, 2 camo, except for my headgear was, uh, an old leafy headgear that I got somewhere. And, uh, I also had an helicopter come, you know, come about this far away from me on my blind side. Uh, and, you know, I had several animals real close, close and personal. And I, I thought I did a really good job because, you know, they weren't able to spot me at all. And when I first saw the camel, I thought, that's a little dark, you know, <laughs> but it worked perfectly. And whenever I see photographs or I see the guys walking out in the field, you know, I, I could see that's real effective. You know, I had no complaints. I have a double thumbs up on on the camel from my experience in Canada. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're going to get into content in a minute and we, we really want to, talk more about this um but i can just tell you man um the the things for us the really top notch top top i mean there was so much good because i'll tell you this this is the first time i've ever done this is i actually for the first time ever wore a pair of britches for 10 days and i put that through the canadian and we're talking that Oof. bush is up to you know up to the waist going through that a lot of thick stuff um you know, most people were wearing gaiters. I didn't even wear gaiters with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, rose hedge. Yeah. It's got thorns. So they, they got what's called rose hedge and man, that stuff's thorny as all get out. You know, we have cat claw in South Texas, but this rose hedge that's up there, I mean, it, if it got in your hands, I think RC still got some in his hands. So <laughs> the other thing here, I had to, what, what I had really, to pull, so, I pulled three of them out last week. <laughs> What really surprised me though, bud, was, um, wearing them for 10 days, I was constantly going and like scent check. checking. Yeah, yeah. scent checking. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I could not in, now I was wearing merino right. underneath. Yeah. Um, still merino shorts, yep. breeches and stuff. But I, if for the first time ever, I went through, I was like, wow, I just can't believe this man. And then came back to New York. Oh, we, we could smell it. <laughs> you only showered two times in the 10 days you were there, Joe. And I come back to New Mexico and of course, I, yes, I washed it before then. But, uh, <laughs> when we were coaching, I went out with, you know, the same britches with one of yeah, my, yeah. Uh, one of my hunters who was wearing another brand britches and we had to get down on knees a few times and that very popular brand of britches ripped out in his knees in the two days of us doing what we were doing. And, and, you know, mine are still going strong, not even showing, you know how you look for the abrasive, you know, brush mm-hmm. and stuff. And so I was very pleased with that. The Merino was, was unbelievable. The puffy jacket oh, was, was the hit Amazing. of the camp. Um, we had well, well Joe, Joe, one of the things I want to say about that pan, I mean, that's by design that has polygene crunch on it. So it has a really great antimicrobial. So as, as you're talking about Merino has natural antimicrobial features. So sweat creates and heat creates bacteria, bacteria creates odor through a vaporized structure. The pants, the climb pants you're referring to, that has polygene crunch, which is a great technology. So we're doing what we can to really attack that scent or that odor where it actually incubates. So one of the reasons you have the great experience is, is because of the technology. 
Yeah. We'll need so to wrap awesome. them up. Well, we, so we did. Awesome. We did have several complaints, and you can hear them on the podcast we did with the campers about being behind Joe. So if we could do like a charcoal <laughs> yeah. carbon butt or something suit. like that, That's that might help brand. a little bit more. <laughs> That's a different brand. You got to put them in the dryer <laughs> oh, and activate. We need a full carbon. body suit for Joe. <laughs> totally sealed. You just, you just never know, man. You just know. That's why no. wind's important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and all you got, and all you people out there, that's why it's important to become a leader and not a follower. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. And Joe, you know what? Dave and Carlos went up to, uh, you know, Dave, right? Dave Weinberg from Brand yes, Mayo. Uh, yep. Went up to Yeah, Alaska. him and Car, yeah, him and Carlos went up to, uh, uh, moose hunting in Alaska and they used that ballistic rainwear. Did you guys gain the ballistic, uh, Jack and Panther rainwear I stuff? Oh, I, I, I know, I know you, I know you did, Joe, cause I think you were like, Aaron, this is, this is a little noisier for spot stock. I'm like, Hey, Joe, this it's is rain. rainwear and yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty, it's pretty huntable rainwear. Yeah. Is if you've ever been in rainwear, it's almost impossible to get a plastic bag that's not like some set of sense of noise. And Carlos was sending me texts up there in Alaska. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, I tested this shit. And it is unbelievable. I've been out here for 12 hours today. And he, of course he had the, he had a uh, gators on and the ballistic rain suit. And he goes, literally, I'm still dry. And I was like, you know, it's like this real world testing that you guys do, which is what is actually what makes us great or can be great if you take feedback and evolve. I mean, it's those testimonies because there's no, t- I mean, I've done a lot of shower tests. Like my wife's like, what are you doing in there? And fully, you know, I'm in a shower because it's hard to get the right condition where you're actually testing stuff like it needs to be rain where in this exact example. And I'm sitting there and I got the front jets and I got the big head above me and I'm like, Hey, can you time me? And she's like, well, what else do you need? I said, well, can you do a video of me? Cause I want to see how the rain's shedding off the hood or the bill or the shoulders. And she's just like, in disdain, she's shaking her head and she goes, you, this is your job. I'm like, yeah, it's my that was job. The, other thing. So, <laughs> the hood, the bills on the hood. Oh, oh, yeah. So yeah that was awesome. It's so good with it your hat. Yeah. That, y'all oh. spent some time designing that because well, that, that, that detail is, is big. It's not all drooping down in your face and, or way back, you know, in the wind. You can actually, it actually sits up there on your hat really good and protects everything, you know. And well, big O, that's funny you say that because it's so challenging. We have a guy in the office we call Stretch. Uh-huh. <laughs> we call him Stretch because he's got a really long neck. <laughs> as, we're, as, as we're doing fit sessions, I, I have stretch put it on, and then we have another guy that's got a shorter neck, and the guy that's got a shorter neck, he's like, ah, I think it's a little long, and then stretch is like, man, I can't turn my neck as good as I want to, and then I'm kind of in the normal category, and I'm like, it's freaking great, and it's, so that's that's interesting you say that because you're just trying perfect. to get the majority of the people and you'll know, stretch ain't happy. And the short guy's like, hey, it's a little loud. It's a little long, but it's, I can strap it down. So that's my world of apparel development where you got all body shapes, necks are longer, mm-hmm. shoulders broader. You know, you got thighs bigger, you got shorter people. I got, you know, they're 38, 40 in the waist and they got a 30 inch inseam. And yeah, that's my world. I live in it. And I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, though, Manana was at your shower, too, because he wears the actual shower curtain instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
man, guys, again, Aaron, so, so appreciative of what you've done for us. We're going to yes, get, uh, we're going to get moving here and let's get the party started and head over to our Elk Bros mailbox, Joe. Yes, sir. So, uh, Chav, if you want to go ahead and take that first one there. Okay. Uh, first question comes from Dalton Heredia from Laramie, Wyoming. He says, I want to say thank you for all the awesome information you fellows give out. I have, I have been a long time listener since about episode 20. My question this time around is, I know cow elk will bugle, but is it rare? Why will a cow bugle and what does it mean? Well, I'm not really sure here, but, uh, f- from what I've heard, uh, some people think that a cow does bugle. They do. They do. When they're in, es- in estrus, I guess, mainly. Uh, but, uh, what's your, you guys' thoughts on that I, question? I don't know if it's necessarily estrus, but I hear it's a lot mm-hmm. in the spring, but basically around the time when they're, you know, uh, when all, everything's kind of going wrong in their system and the birthing getting ready, you know, to happen and stuff. I, I think it's more when they're having hormonal type things, but I also believe that they do it as part of, um, as the hierarchy as well. When they get demanding, when they start doing things like that, cause I have also heard it happen later in the season like that. So, uh, it, it's, it's a sound. What's that? Does it sound like, does it sound like a absolutely. bull? Absolutely. It's, it's oh, not absolutely. It's not as long. It's like a sound. It's definitely yeah. There, there's, there's yeah. not a single sound a cow, uh, a bull can make that a cow can't and vice yeah. versa. Right. right. And, and one of the bugles, when they get really, really insistent and they get demanding and when, and, and they've even a lot of times when it's aggressive towards another cow, when a lead cow is doing that, you know, you, you guys have heard of fighting cows and stuff like sure. that. Well, they can actually use that in a sense to send a message just the same way. I think it's just another way for them to send a message when it really reaches that level. RC, you were shaking your head a little while ago. Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, it's just, you hit it right on the head. I've seen it to where, uh, a lead cow, she, you know, she gets tired of mewing to them and then she'll bugle and it's like, they all look up and they're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. She gets their attention. (laughs) She definitely gets their attention. And I've heard it, like you say, early. I've heard it late. Um, all kinds of different times. Especially yeah, I, have, in the, I have, oh, sorry, Jojo. No, especially like, uh, in that early summer or late spring, oh, you know, yeah, there's been right people there. that, Definitely. yeah, people that are out there and they're like, you know, the herd, the cows are together, the bulls aren't there yet. And they're like, I could have sworn I heard a bull bugle, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. well, they, they heard a cow bugle is what they heard out mm-hmm. there. Go ahead, guy. Yep. I was just going to say, I have video from, uh, June and July mm-hmm. of cows bugling and it was pretty, on a regular, you know, and it was like, and initially we thought, you know, is that a small bull over there went dropped in the drainage to investigate and uh, it was a couple cows and they were just going back and forth across this drainage. Hmm. And I here just, I thought those was pronoun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just identify. I identify as. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, well, everybody should know. That it is the cow, like, you know, everybody talks about the rut and everybody gets so bull centered and they start thinking it's the bull doing this, it's the bull doing that. It ain't the bull. It's the cows, man. It's the cows that are determining where they're going, what, the, now he can 
hurry them along a little bit sure, sure. and get them out of dodge, but they're going to they're going to determine who they are going to bring mm-hmm. with. They're going to determine where they're going to eat, where they're going to bed. It uh, it it ain't no different than the human world. <laughs> so that's, that's, yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost yeah, like home. Yeah, no, but that's right. a really so, cool question. Yeah, well, and it said part of it. I don't even know if we answered it. Says what does it mean? I've never heard them do anything that I think that it's sounds anything like the locate. I mean, it's more it's more like a low a low pitch locate, if you ask me. Yeah, guys, how, how I've never heard one. Is it like is this a one in ten sort of deal, or is it a five percent or a one percent? Or I mean, I mean, if you think about the countless time you guys have been in the woods, I mean, um, is it on a handful that you've heard it? Yeah, it's just a handful. handful yeah. yeah. It's, it's not a common thing like the bulls are during breeding season at all. Um, and, and I, I tend to heard hear it when we were in bigger groups of cows. Yes, absolutely. Right? So the bigger the group of cows is when I heard it. I mean, and when I say that, I remember Carl Gamage and I were stalking in, in my son. He was 10 years old. We were putting a stalk on in an area that's a huge area. And uh, there must have been 250 head of elk in there, man. I mean, tons of them. And they, it was, those cows were all doing it. I mean, quite a bit, you know, we, cause there wasn't a lot of bulls in there. There were tons of cows and you could hear them, but it was more like that low, uh, that low whistle that, uh, a, a satellite bull would make. Yeah. You know, it's, it's shorter. Yeah. Um, it's, it doesn't have all that harshness and yeah, stuff not to a lot it or anything like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what it means, uh, we would be guessing, but yeah. to me, I, I would think it's more of an insistent type of, yeah. um, you know, message of some time to, you know, here I am, here yeah. we are. You know, I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I don't know that there's been a whole lot of studies they, on it. And talking to their cats. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't it, know. Yeah. Matriarch sort of conversation, yeah. maybe. And again, mm-hmm. I, I, it has Technical. been used in aggressive instances as well, where it might be something where they're showing some dominance, just like maybe a bull is. So, um, uh, we're, we're guessing we're not experts on it, but that's kind of how we yeah. saw it. Yeah. Cool. Great All question. All right. I'm up. Jim Hedich from Timnath, Colorado. Hey guys, I love my two new calls, the sugar and the grinder, but I have a question for the show. I'll be hunting OTC and I'm scouting several new units two weeks before the season starts. And I was thinking of doing some calling to locate elk. Would you recommend or not recommend doing this and why? So uh, I'm going to defer to uh, our guests this evening because, uh, uh, what would you say to that? Aaron? Well, I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when, when you say that is pressure. Like, just where's the area you're going and what sort of pressure do you have going on? So you guys know, I mean, you can go into high-pressure areas, and it doesn't matter if you're you're speaking the sexiest language out there, you're not going to get anything to call back. So I think the first thing is where you go on, how pressured. OTC, I guess we can kind of assume, if you will, that it's probably pressured. Um, so I, I, it's a 50, 50 call. I think I would try some and not try some and, and experiment to see what the, what the elk are actually sensing and wanting to hear. They may not want to hear anything, frankly. And I mean, what season are we talking right? He says, yeah. you know, yeah. two weeks before the season starts, we're yeah, about to start first season, rifle. They may not be too communicative to your point guy. Yeah. I mean, first rifle starts here this week in Colorado. So I'm making an assumption based on, you know, I don't know when Joe got the email, but, um, right. first rifle, rifle has, 
has been just off the chain here uh, in terms of bulls talking, animals talking, that rut behavior. Um, yeah, so what, I think what it, pressure have they seen? We've had two weeks off since archery stopped, so. I think it depends on what you're doing with it. I mean, if you're out there like in your pre-archery and you're out there trying to actually call a bull into, and I've seen a lot of this, I actually see guys go out there two days before the hunt sometimes and they start, they start trying to work a bull and they start working their calls and they do. They actually call a bull in and yeah, yeah. And what I tell people is, is to me, it's almost like my athletes throwing their best discus throw in the warm up and then they go to, <laughs> they go into the competition and, and it's dudded out because they did the best already. And I think sometimes you bring those animals in early. You educate them a little bit because now they've been called in, they've spotted you, they've smelled you or something like that. And so now you're already starting that process of them um, being aware of the situation of what's going on. Yeah, so, once you, once you hear them and once you see what they're doing, you kind of, you kind of should know how, how season's going to start. It's the same way when we're fishing, we're, we're pre-fishing. We don't fish with a hook in the bait, right? We just fish with a regular bait that's got the hook cut off mm-hmm. and we'll pitch the bait in there. And if we get bit, we don't set the hook. We just let the fish swim out of it. Well, I'm not educating the fish on there's, you know, on the get, pain, on, on the, the pain situation. Yeah, of the yeah. situation. That's an interesting so thing. We can go back there and get bit again and i don't want to say that's 100 percent of the time but i bet it's 75 percent of the time we can go back in there and get bit again so when you when you go out there in your initial scouting or whatever and you hit a bugle a location bugle and you get three back it's like oh man oh yeah two days from that time to walk out of there and get ready you know we don't need to educate them any more than that you know and if you're if you're like two weeks ahead of your you know muzzle loader season or your rifle season if you're out there at the same time these other guys are hunting yeah. and throwing that out, I don't, you know, I think you can actually be out there and just utilize the people that are there already and mm-hmm. use your ears and mm-hmm. use your eyes and find the sign and instead of actually having to in, induce that. Now, if, if you are, you know, it's your hunt, you're there, it's the day before your camp is set up and you're riding ridges and you're throwing out some locations just to get an idea where some animals are located. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't do that? That's, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, that's just locating. But yeah. I think when you go out weeks before, um, right before the hunt, if I were you instead, I would go out during that springtime, during that summertime. Fine I'd work cow, my cow man. calls. Absolutely, man, because you can work. Cow calls, you can bring cows in any time of year. You can bring bulls in with cow calls any time of year. So, I mean, there's other times that you can kind of work that instead of, and I know we all get itchy, you know, when that happens. And I don't know. I I don't know if we can attribute the fact that there are more people out there calling ahead of the season that some of these animals aren't getting a little quieter once the season starts. Who knows? Yeah, I mean. Pressure. Pressure makes them react. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're scouting some good glass is going to do a lot more scouting than you can on boot That's, and sitting there, you know, putting some wear on that latex. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, I think about the, the other ways to scout. It's not just calling easy. and educating them. Maybe there's some other ways to, uh, some other avenues for guys to actually scout. I mean, yeah. look, we when we went to Colorado OTC, 
we scouted all the way up to the first day. Yeah. And we scouted so hard on the first day, we actually moved camp. Yeah. I mean, two hours from where we were, right? That's how much we were scouting while we were hunting, right? Mm -hmm. And found out what we needed to find out and then made our decisions. And it was because you did have a bull respond and walk in on you. And I think Luis ended up killing that bull. And then I ended up killing a bull Luis called in. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, it's definitely something that you want to put your time in, but we were there days before, not weeks before. Yeah. But you guys were there weeks before scouting area looking for sign and stuff like that so i think it is good to do calling out in the woods just to hear how it sounds out there because i think so many people when they practice in their car and they practice in the room it sounds different yeah it's it's different and uh and you kind of learn about different things like how the calls will flow where to do the calls and stuff but i i don't mean you have to go out there actually trying to bring in an elk when you do it i i mean it's good just to be outdoors Hey, you want to make sure you don't sound like you're biting your finger off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm still curious, Jim, as to what season you're talking about, because yeah. that's going to determine a whole heck of a lot. So I mean, what would it matter to you? Say again, JoJo? Does it matter to you? Why does it matter to me? I mean, does it matter does, to does you? It matter? Oh, absolutely it matters. I mean, if he's going out and calling, I don't know that it matters to me. I'm getting away from everybody. Um, but – I'm looking, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking archery and I'm making assumptions that, you know, the rut is in September, when I go out into the woods, I'm looking for old rut sign. I'm not necessarily looking for the position that they're in in June and July and assuming that they're going to be there in September. So if I get into elk June, July, they're not, they may not be in that location. Um, but come he's talking September. two weeks before the season. He's saying two weeks before the season. Yeah. We just so, don't know. Okay. Yeah. We don't know. I don't know what's so that's the problem is we don't know what season or it is or, or what. So, so I guess, I oh. guess, I guess if we simplified it, were you going to say something, Chow? No. Or, <laughs> no. So uh, what I was going to do is simplify it to this. Is it, is it a good practice before any season to go out two weeks prior to that and start trying and, and doing calling for those critters? And I guess that's the basis of the question for any season. Two weeks before the season, he's thinking about doing some calling. Should he or shouldn't he? How do we feel no. about that? So I, I say no. Yeah. I would do more E scouting, more boots, boots on, on the ground, the ground glassing. Yeah. I would do more of that. I would, I, I tell you, I'd be learning um, the road system, the trail system. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, Joe. I would Absolutely. be traveling those roads looking for track. I'm looking to find the cows. I'm looking to find the most track I can find using, that are herds of cows. Using your tools to get to those Absolutely. areas that you need to to be successful. Because if you're just out there calling two weeks ahead of time and and you're talking early mm-hmm. season, where those bulls are bugling at, they might not even be there where yeah. you're hearing them at that point. That's right. So they may not be talking. That's yeah. right. I mean, That's right. Right. If they're not talking, then and you e scout and you go get boots on the ground. You're not mm-hmm. looking for what and you're calling. You may be doing the wrong thing and leaving that area because you're not getting responses. So it's, yeah. you yeah. know, I'm look if if we're assuming September, I'm looking for old red sign, period, point yeah. blank, and then identifying, you know, two weeks ahead of time in certain areas, you'll see camps set up already. Get away from them daggone camps and come up with a plan based on that. Yeah. And I and I would just add, if you're gonna do it, I think Big O, you said it good because I fish a lot too. Don't beat up on the spot. 
Exactly, you know, brother. Give, yeah. give, give him a little love touch. Fun swing and leave. <laughs> yeah, then just move on. You know, yeah. I, I got that out of my system. So I'd say light, you know, if you're going to do it, if you're going to go down that road. But I think glassing and two ears and understanding what you guys talk about is a great approach, you know. Sure. Luis. From Mr. Ryan Lewis, New Mexico. Can you all hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Ryan Lewis in New Mexico. Uh, this question is for you, Joe. How the heck do you get to hunt so often in New Mexico? <laughs> Joe and I had a conversation at the shoot and angel fire, and you then asked me what units I put in for. I have put in for all Gila Gila units and uh, all first hunts, but you said you look at the low success rate when looking at the draw. Can you explain and help me understand? I would rather hunt elk every year rather than sit on the couch and wait for the tag for five years. Thanks for all the awesome and free content uh, that you supply to us, and thanks uh, for your time. Uh, his name is Ryan. Ryan. Get out of said Elk Bros Adventures, brother. We'll hook you up. Make sure you got a tag every year, brother. <laughs> so, so Ryan, here's what I, what I meant by that, man. And, and I truly believe this that, you know, everybody does that. They like put in for the Gila. Um, they put in for different places in the Gila for their first, second and third choices. And, and look, the Gila is a great place. There's some incredible bulls down, out, down there in the Gila. But that name um, is a name that just about everybody through the United States that looks at New Mexico knows. So most people are also putting in for that. So that's really killing your odds. Now, because you're in state and you have an 80, what is it, 84% chance, I yeah. think it is. Um, you have an 84% chance of pulling that from just people in New Mexico, it does give you better odds, but there's, I mean, everybody again looks for those areas and they look at success rates. Now, what I'm telling you is this, is that if you want to hunt the Gila, put that as your first choice. Then as your second choice, go out there and find one that does not have a high success rate. In fact, if you want to ensure that you're going to hunt, find two of the other units that do not have high success <clears throat> rates. And and the reason I'm telling you to do that is I really could care less about success rates in New Mexico. I think any unit that um, in New Mexico that has elk is a great unit. That's how, how I feel about it. I think there's elk all over the state. Um, I started hunting a unit that was five to eight percent success rate and was getting it done all the time. So success rates only show you the quality of the hunters. It doesn't show you the quality of the hunt necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of people, re you know, they might connect ease of kill or amount of elk with success rates, but you want to go do other research for that. You know, you can go find out how many elk are in that area from the research done. What's the bull to cow ratio? You can look at those types of things. But I really think that, and and I've told several people that, and some of them hunted in some of these areas this year and <laughs> scored this year, yeah. and they're like, yeah, buddy. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I I really think if you want to hunt, 
go hunt where a lot of people probably aren't because they look at success rates and they let that determine that. You know, put your first choice as the place that, look, in the lottery, if you come up first, it's going to fill. If it doesn't fill your first one, it goes to your second choice. If it doesn't fill your second choice, it goes to the third choice, right? So by you having other units in there that might not be filled up like that first one is when your number gets drawn, you have better odds of then having the ability to draw a tag. And and look, I'll tell you this, dude, in our area, man, we were, I think in 32 years, I probably didn't draw twice in 32 years. And then COVID happened. And COVID really, really changed a lot of things. And, you know, it, it, happened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's what I mean by that. And most people don't realize they put in, Top places as their choices. Oh, I want to go do the Gila. I want to go to the Via Caldera. I want to do the Via Vidal. Well, the Via Vidal should be a place that you want to go hunt. It's Put that in the first yeah, one there, right? Kind of Mecca, right? Yeah. One tag, one, one time, lifetime, right? I have never put in for the Via Vidal. Wow. Never. And I mean, in 40 seasons, I've never put in the Via Vidal. Now, Early on, the Vidal actually came along, so I couldn't say 40 seasons because it came on later in, in my hunting career, right, um, when they purchased that land and developed that. But once they started doing that, well, now I was hunting with Chav. And then, you know, when I wasn't hunting with Chav, then I was hunting with this group. So for me, if I was to draw the Vidal on my own, that means I'm not hunting with the guys. And to me, the camaraderie and our hunt together has meant a whole lot more than me going to the Viva Doll. Me hunting yeah. and creating memories with others. So now you might be at a different point. You might be solo. You might be, you know, um, but yeah, I tell you, even like out of state hunters, you know, I think there's what, how many tags for that? If you know, it's like there's some areas that people are putting in for that are out of state that is impossible to draw. It's, it's impossible. Maybe, maybe. Is is that why it's been 19 years and I've never drawn a Mexico tag? <laughs> I swear to God, it's been 19 years. I've hunted in Mexico three times, but never on a drawn tag. Yeah, I will tell you what unit where I'm putting in, but um, yeah, 19 years. Can you believe that? Have you wow. used an outfitter? Get the outfitter pool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we'll stall about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Most of those places, like when you take a look again at the Gila. And people putting in at the outfitter pool, that's really still getting spread out quite a bit right there, right? So I recommend to people, I I don't even tell them to get in the outfitter pool. I tell people go find the most tags in New Mexico, find the unit with the most tags and put in for that unit. It's going to give you better odds, right? So, uh, I mean, there's some areas there that look devoid of elk that are not. Um, I know a fellow that I, that I suggested that to went into a unit that most people struggle with, went in there, got into a bunch of bulls, got it done. And he's just, um, you know, he's sitting pretty happy and, and fat right now, man. So that, that's the answer to that. Guys, you know what time it is. It's time for the Elk Bro shout out. If you're new to our show, this is shout out to our followers. Most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Hey, before we get started and I, and I do my reminder here, Aaron, you want to give a shout out to your hometown? My home hometown? Yeah. I'll give a shout out to all the people in Presho, South Dakota. I grew up in a farmer ranch community of like, 500 people. So in central South Dakota, I give a big shout out and a lot of love to 
the South Dakotans from Presho. Preshonians. Preshonians. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> no, I, I'm from Presho, South Dakota, and I don't know what Preshonian is, but yeah, Presho. <laughs> is that West of Mitchell? It, oh, here we go. Some, yeah, West Joe's. Just oh, put your hand over Big O's mouth. You know, <laughs> know. Yeah, <laughs> there's your motel there, and I stayed there one time. Big deal, <laughs> South Dakota. There's East River people. That's and right. West River West people. River people. That's River right. Kids. So two hours <laughs> west of Mitchell. You got the Lower Missouri there that comes that, that comes down and. Yep. Yep. It's out, out of France's case and goes into yep. in South Dakota. Yep. I, I cut fish. my walleye teeth on on uh, Lake Francis case. Yeah, yeah. Well, yep. We we fished uh, the Lewis and Clark Reservoir there. Oh sure, in a BASS event. Uh, up oh, there. Sure. And I so I got to run around with all those guys up there that are big time pheasant hunters and up around. Oh, yeah. There's a big Cabela's in Mitchell, so <laughs> yep. I mean, that's where we'd have to go to get anything. You know, so, yeah, we uh, may have to have a fishing podcast. It sounds like they go, you and me, bro. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> ripping tip. Ripping tips and ripping lips. I'm in, dude. All right. So just a reminder, beginning again on our next show, the Elk Bro Spin, a winter wheel will be back, y'all. Yeah. Okay. Give away more gear. Yeah, bro. yeah. For those folks leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or giving us a comment on our YouTube channel, and look, y'all, this is very important because, man, we – Put you in or we cut you out. You've got to include your name and where you are from. Okay. And when you do that, we're going to be placing those names in the Elk Pro Spin a Winter Wheel. The winner will get one Wapiti River diaphragm call and someone on this next show, bro, is going to be the first to have one of our new Burnham Red oh, diaphragm calls man. produced by our friends over at Native by Carlton. So there's more on that to come, y'all. So the you're Burnham gonna be, Red, yeah, the Burnham Red, man. I, I think people are gonna gonna like that call there. And uh, and I I actually already have a list of about 15 names that's going to go into this one next week okay. that people were still putting Good. names in while we while we've been hunting and been away. So we're going to include that in for the for that next week y'all okay so let's get to our uh let's get to our top listener cities okay uh this city is known for its black water baths which is a major tourist attraction in the area mineral rich black water was discovered while drilling for natural gas in 1891 the city was established in 1823 and if you love fun it's home to new york state's largest theme park darien lake theme park which is a 1,200-acre resort with seven world-class roller coasters, more than 45 different rides, and the region's largest water park, including a giant wave pool. Damn. And this is in Alden, New York. I want to go. Yeah. Alden, yeah. yeah. New York, man. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah, man. I mean, you're uh, – look, Love I don't know about y'all, but I like fun. I do too, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Alden. Hey, Alden, and you guys, man, send us some, uh, send us little coupons off and we'll see if the family can go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aaron, you said you're going out east right now. Where, where's home right now, brother? I'm out in Michigan. Come on, man. What part? Yeah, uh, west, we go. western. No, man. No, dude. Western Michigan, uh, right on, uh, by Grand Rapids. Uh, gotcha. All right, My wife's from Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah. Go blue. Yeah, man. For <laughs> sure. Which part? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I don't, I'm still getting on that thing. So, uh, there we go. Manano. Next stop. 
named by the members of the Wilkes Expedition, who in 1840 entered the harbor in a longboat called the Captain Jiggs. This city is a gateway to the Olympic Peninsula. It is a big tourist destination due to its, its stunning walkable waterfront and its close access to several state and city parks. Jig Harbor, Washington. Jig Harbor. Jig Harbor, Washington. Yeah. Dude, you nailed that, man. You did, man. Hey, what, what yeah, about listen to the big <laughs> Have you been on Google Translate all, all day? Please don't speed me up, yo. Good, you promise. You promise. Hey, bro, there were three beaches in that town, and I took them. (laughs) (laughs) Up next, guys, this city was an early settlement as the United States expanded westward. Known as the Harvey neighborhood for its settlers, the name was changed because of its lofty elevation. It's a tourist destination because of a nearby Turkey Run State Park and Shades State Park. Uh, Knowles Gift Shop is a must stop as, as, uh, are the Hershey's Drive-In and Sunday Shop in Hillsboro, Indiana. Hillsboro in the house. Indiana. Yeah. So man, we're from New York back over to Washington, back to Indiana. Luis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luis, this is right up your alley, man. I don't, didn't you live in this county? <laughs> no, sir. Oh, okay. Well, I just thought so, man. That's, uh, that'll be, that'll be more like you, but anyhow, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's located in Lincoln County, Ohio. This city is home to a popular golfing destination, the Cumberland Trail Golf Club and the William Run Golf Course. This city, the name of this city was derived from the Delaware Indian term meaning clear water. White settlers uh, to the area called the same river, the Licken River, because of a numerous salt licks in the area. And uh, uh, the town is called Pataskala, Ohio. Pataskala? Pataskala, Ohio. Heck yeah, in the house. And, and look. Licking County, I apologize. Having some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> All right. Sure ain't, ain't the first one that poked fun yeah, at yeah. the Licking County. But at the same time, <laughs> I never really knew what a lick truly was we until, until we, until got we to went Canada. to Canada. Yeah, man. Yep. It was unbelievable. You know, it, what the boys do to you up there? <laughs> I, didn't do a lot of I didn't start it. I just finished it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things in Canada. You gotta go with this next time. But dude, you'd go in these areas and there would be the color. I mean, because the soil in this place is one giant farm. It's dark soil yeah. except for where the licks are. Black. It's like this white, light, gray yeah. type of soil yeah. with all the minerals in it. And where the critters would lick would actually create like there would be Traders. little mounds and yeah. stuff and everything like, that where they licked around it. They lick around it. Yeah. That the minerals have deposited themselves there from the various runoff areas that are around there. Uh, and when we talk about hills, <clears throat> big hills over there in yeah. Canada, man, yeah. not necessarily big, huge mountains, but man, some big old hills. Yeah. yeah there's some places there. you get there, but yeah. and shout out to Travis and the crew over yeah. there, man, oh, because, uh, yeah, we never knew what a lick was until, until we got there, right. man. All right, y'all, um, main content time. So, um, for everybody listening, 
with the 2023 rifle season happening right now, because I think rifle observations need to be included in this, and the archery season under each of our belts, there's going to be reflections, observations, and even some, a lot of fresh takeaways that showed themselves this season, because, you know, when, it's funny, we do all this talk, and we do all this stuff on the show, and then you get out in the actual field, and you get to see the, how people how they place perspective on those things and the things that they struggle with and what doesn't make sense to them and how they see it in a different light. And then the things that, you know, how their mentality comes out or, you know, the different failure points that exist, we get to see that firsthand. So I think it was never more evident, evident than in our last podcast when we had our adventure uh, guys in with the Elk Bros coaches and you heard from them what they felt like their biggest def, you know, deficiencies were, right? Yeah. But you know, like the first part of this, because, um, this is going to be a series and the first part of this, you know, we're talking about elk hunting mentality, right. mistakes and mentors. These things, you know, when we take a look at it, um, we're trying to take a look at these things to, to talk about those areas and really bring them into focus because like, for example, the, the, the elk hunting mentality, the top reasons or thoughts or mental processes or breakdowns along with the elements that contribute to that to cause those breakdowns that we feel hurt hunters. In other words, let's bring into focus the real, the reality, the things that we saw that were out there, the things that as coaches, we, you know, we start to understand, you know, especially mentally. And then we're, from there, we're going to go to the most common mistakes or misconceptions, learning moments. And then last but not least, we're going to go to, you know, what, uh, what I really saw is people really need mentors. They need mentor types. They need tools. And we need to help them out with that no matter where they live to help them overcome some of these things, right? They can, they can get some of that from us. But like, I heard several of our guys say in our camp, you know, there's not, there's things that are YouTube that are podcast and there's different things that you just can't emulate. Yeah. yeah. Emulate until yeah. you actually get out there sometimes. I mean, you can warn, you can try to, um, but you, it's all about perspective. Each of us, like if I said the word boat right now, <laughs> every single one of you has a vision of a boat in your mind. Some of you are looking at a little John boat. Some of you are looking at a sailboat. Some of you are seeing a 40-footer with two, you know, uh, things on the back of it. Some might be seeing a ship. Some might see a little dinghy they have in their bathtub. But all of us bring our back experiences and our past experiences to get these perspectives on things. And I think that's why it's so great that we have this group to talk about these. So what I want, first of all, and I, I have some things I want to talk about, but I want to hear from the group some of the top reasons or those mental processes or breakdowns that you saw and some of the things that you feel like, or we can talk about some of the things that contribute to that. So um, what what I'll do is, um, you know, I know, again, you're our guest, Aaron. I want to start with you uh, while everybody else, and then after Aaron gets done, you know, anybody else going to win, just put a finger up and and, and jump in, okay? Yeah. So, um, I think the thing I'll, I'll mention and, and you guys have maybe had this experience. I'll date myself back to 2005 when I was hunting elk down in Arizona. And, uh, I think it's a nine day season, 10 days. Do I got that about right? Nine or 10. 
Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, that I learned in that experience that has taught me a lot. And I'm, so that's what's 15, 60, that's about 20 years ago, right? So take 20 years off me. I'm, I'm in cutting shape, you know, and tough and run through a brick wall. And, you know, I, Joe, I'm going to pick up on something you said about, uh, mental, um, strength and, and, and actually, mental, you know, the fragileness of their mental conditions when we're out there hunting elk, because as you guys know, it's, it's an unbelievable grind. (laughs) And, um, one of the things I learned in that elk hunt is, is taking time off. And I actually took a morning off. I went from the mountains where spike camped and I actually went down to town and didn't hunt that morning. We actually went down the night before, got a motel room, actually had dinner, took a shower and took some time off because, um, I went back and hunted that evening and took the morning off. And I will tell you on that. And I, granted, I think it's only nine or 10 days, but after that fifth or I think it was sixth day, maybe seventh day, it was, I was done. I was ready to go home, you know, and, and as you guys know, in an out of state or in Arizona, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable tag to draw. And I was in an unbelievable unit and I was getting to that point, doing dumb things, forcing things. I'd like to be aggressive in the woods, chasing elk. I, I'm more aggressive person than I'm not. And I started doing a lot of dumb things. And what I learned in that is sometimes it's okay. You know, one part of you says, I can't give up a hunt. I can't give up a morning. I got to keep grinding. I got to grind. I got to persevere. I got to get through the wall. And I tell you what, that that night I slept in a bed and that morning I took off, I tell you what, when I was going up the mountains, it felt like the very first day of my arrival that hunt. And I will tell you, it made me such a, such a better hunter, just having that little time off and it, and it ended well. So I, I, I don't know where this is going to go in the conversation, but if you're going to go out there on a long hunt, it's okay. It is really okay to take a half day off and just get your mind right. Because as you guys know, on that sort of a marathon, having your mind right, even though you're the toughest guy, a 32 year old kid, and you're just like, you're, you're, you're in your prime, you know, and you're going to go hard. I tell you what, that was probably one of the best decisions. I reflect a lot back on that day, even in, in shorter hunts that I go, it's okay. It's okay to take a little time off. That's such a good point. Such a good point, Aaron. What, what I want to stick on that though is because when we're talking about the reasonings, the thoughts or mental processes, and again, I talked about perspective. So that word grind to, to really get out there and grind again means something different to everybody, to everybody. right? And most people associate that, that I see going out there and just putting miles on the boots, man. Uh, Physical and, nature. Yeah. I, I covered. You know, I covered six to 10 miles today. So I was grinding, you know, and again, these are things that I think can really cause the issue with that mentalness. And there's other things that are going to go with that as well, because when you put eight to 10 miles on a day and you haven't, and most of these people are doing that and what are they doing? Beep, beep, you know, uh, and they're not hearing something gets defeating. Yeah, it gets defeating, right? Yeah. Because they're hunting bugles, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they're not. So hunting. the thing they're yep. doing is they believe that I've got to put on as many miles, I got to be out there and I have nothing wrong with being out there all day. I, have, I don't have any trouble with that. But I think grinding 
is not always, some people work hard, too hard and not as smart, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. And, and by you taking that day off, actually, smart. it's smart. You let your mind get a little bit fresh on that, we, right? You, we used it this year. We called it a mental health day, man. I mean, seriously, because the grind is real. And when you embrace that and understand it, but I, I'm, I'm with Aaron. I think a lot of first time elk hunters, they feel like if they don't stay on that grind, that they're wasting time when they're, or not. they're weak or they're weak, yeah. you know? It, I mean, take a look at our brother Adam, right? I mean, this guy's incredible shape. He goes up first day, kills the elk, and then he's roached. I mean, the altitude sickness whacks him in the face like a crappy mop, right? And he's like, and I'm, I thought everybody that got altitude sickness was just a bunch of weak punks. <laughs> you know, they're just a bunch of punking out. And he goes, dude, this stuff is real to the fact that he had to have help getting that bull down. I mean, he couldn't have done it by himself. He'd have died up there, you know, and he didn't know how serious his condition really was because he's not a mountain guy. Here we go. What if there was a way to flatten your elk hunting learning curve and have the experience of a lifetime, gaining decades of elk hunting knowledge and skill sets that'll take your DIY confidence and ability to a whole new level? Look no further. Welcome to Elk Bros Adventures in our Coached Adventure Camp, an elk hunting experience like no other. Your prep and training starts months before you ever step foot on the mountain. Our campers have weekly online training sessions with each member of our Elk Pro Success Squad in all aspects of the hunt. Gear, physical condition, archery setup, failure points to avoid, shooting proficiency, finding elk, locating, behavior calling, setup, and closing the deal. From the moment you get to elk camp, the boots on the ground training begins. Each camper will have one of the Elkros trained coaches with them throughout the hunt. Not guiding, but teaching and helping you to learn and apply those lessons. For the price of what many today are paying for tags alone, you will be smashing that DIY learning curve, becoming a more knowledgeable, capable, effective, confident, and therefore successful DIY elk hunter. Y'all, hunt preparation like no other, a learning experience like no other, an elk hunting adventure like no other. For more information, go to elkbros.com forward slash hunt. That's elkbros.com forward slash hunt. Flattening that learning curve, now there is a way. Well, cheers to the elk bros, huh? Cheers. 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 So let, let me find out from each of you guys, because we we call people our grinders, yeah. right? And we talk about, and elk hunting can be a grind. I mean, there's a way of saying, you know, yeah, it's just that. It's like taking and crushing friggin' seeds into flour, right? I mean, it can, it can grind you down. It can wear you down. But when we talk about going out there and grinding it out, you know, what does that mean to you? What, how do you guys see that? And how can we put that in a better perspective so that people can see that? I don't know that it's just the hunt, right? When, when I hear that, 
word for me. I mean, this is, this is not, I'm going out for a week and I'm a grinder, right? I think it's about the preparation that leads up to the hunt, right? It's about the time you put in prior to the hunt, during the hunt. You know, what, what are you working on? That's, that's where the grind is at, right? And you get on the mountain and you're hoping that that grinding, right, is going to lead to success. So I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's just about being on the mountain or in the elk woods. Um, guy, you know, as well I, I think about it's, it getting kicked in the teeth up there on the mountain. You know how that oh. feels, brother. And, and you've lived it. So let us know what's the hardest part of that. After you've grinded six, eight months out of the year, you put the time in and it's just not working out, right? The animals just aren't cooperating in, in how do you how do you get past that where we stay on the mountain, right? You might even have a little sickness going on. You know, how do you push past that? You know what I mean? Joe, get your beep button ready. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me you at know, it. For, Don't make me at it, man. <laughs> it, 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 that's a rough one, right? Right. So I set myself up every year. And Joe and I had this conversation months before season. And the week before season, I'm like, I can't do the any bull thing. So I set myself up, quite honestly, for failure, right? Because I'm going after that age class bull. I want that bull. And it Uh is hard work. Uh, Public land, going after that bull. There was two of them. And, man, we were in the first day, second day, excuse me, of season. We're in seven bulls before 7.30 a.m. Wasn't that bull, you know? And you MF yourself a lot. Uh, and for me, it's like, I'm, I, I can't stop. I can't quit. There was a day where I got bested and, and called to a bull and he was, uh, what are you laughing about? I didn't say nothing bad. I said, no, no, no. I said, <laughs> mother, father, man, mother, father. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I called to a bull and didn't know he was already looking at me and I saw butts and nuts. And the rest of that day and part of the next day, I was ready to huck my bow off a cliff. I mean, everything in, and I just kept telling myself, you're going to regret throwing it. You're going to regret throwing it. Mm -hmm. The truck is 24 miles away with the backup bow. 24, you know, so, so I have these, I have these mental conversations, literally have these mental conversations with myself and it gets really bad. I'll sit my butt on a cliff. I'll pull out the glass. And I'll just, and I will literally have a conversation back and forth and, and whoever's looking at me is going, what in the world are you going to answer that? And matter of fact, in adventure camp, I was doing that and Bob goes, so you answer yourself too. And I looked at him and I just started laughing. And I said, damn straight, dude, I've been on the mountain for like 14 days so far. So, you know, it's just a matter of accomplishing what you set out to do or being, excuse me, being dead set on what you or set out to accomplish to do on the mountain for that season, be it elk, be it mule deer, be it antelope, whatever it is. Um, you just gotta, you gotta say, this is what I'm doing and stick to your guns. Cause the only thing at the end of the season when you don't is a ton of regret, man. And you're going to have to wait the 11 months to go back after what you set out the year before. I think Aaron. I think Aaron hit it perfectly, man, is you got to give yourself that leeway. You got to, because the mental part of the hunt, I think is more important than, I mean, the physical part is yes, no doubt, but that mental part will crush you faster than the physical part. So it depends on the person too, right? I'm sorry, Jojo. It depends on the person. That leeway, I did that a couple of years ago. um, And that leeway bothered me. It bothered me. I felt like I, I, 
I was missing that time. I quit. You know what I mean? It really, really bothered me. So I think it depends on the person. And I think you have to know, hey, I'm at my limit. I got to take that break right now. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's really, really hard when you think about all the prep you do for the season. There's no prep that gets you ready for the real life situation. You think about, you know, you're up at 3.30 or 4 a.m. and you're trying to beat the elk up the mountain and you're maybe taking an hour break and you're getting in late at night and you're sleeping and, you know, on the ground and, and some of those things that's just some point culminate. And, and it's funny guy, you talk about the conversations, those conversations I remember vividly well, vividly well, it's like, you're weak. I can't believe it. You're going to, you're going to take time and, and you, and you're like, well, no, I'm not. But yet, and, and, you know, it, it is really hard because the shadow effect if you will, of a very strong strength, which is I will get through the brick wall. You know, that mentality we have, which is part of the grind effect, at some point the shadow effect of a very strong this benefit strong thing that you're good at is the the reality that maybe you just have made you you got to a point you just need to break. So it's tough because that time is so limited, that special moment in the woods. And sometimes as you guys know, it almost looks like a disaster on the field. And you get that break, and it happens in a New York second. And you're like, had I given up, right. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened. Sure. So it, it is tough. You kind of have to know yourself and know your your limits. And and yeah, it's it's a tough decision to make any day. You have to say, you know what, I'm I'm tapped. I need a break. You're a lot nicer talking to yourself than I am. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a G version. <laughs> when we talk about mentality. Um, I, I think you gotta bring in expectations like what you're talking about, guy, and different people are talking about here is that I really think a lot of people have, and you mentioned set yourself up for failure. I think a lot of people actually do that. I think they sell the, I set themselves up for frustration, not so much failure, but, and which leads to a lack of success because I think there's so many people that, um, and I see it. Guys are so pumped. They're so jacked. I mean, they're talking about, oh, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get out there. And day one, you know, if no, nothing happens, ah, oh, well, you know, come out tomorrow. Well, by day three, you know, if they're struggling by day three, we have become, because they've watched things and they, they see the pictures of people that, and understand something, when you're seeing photos of people that are successful, elk hunting, yeah, it's, yeah. it is, it's a one snapshot, snapshot, one small point. 15 seconds that turned their whole hunt. And it's, around. and it's only, it, that's only 10 people out of a hundred that are doing that. Yeah. That's a hundred people out of a thousand that are doing that, right? So, you know, you, you got to consider the fact that what you do is hard. It, it is hard, but you got to go in and understanding that it is hunting and you are hunting animals that are trying to survive. And if you faced it rather than saying, you know, to yourself and thinking like we see the YouTube stuff that it's all going to happen in 15 minutes and there's going to be all these screaming bulls and, you know, yeah, there's always these dream days. And trust me, if you stay at this long enough, you're going to have a dream day, yeah. right? Yeah, Luis. Yeah, so... um you know, I think, I think it's very important, especially, um, uh, for first time elk hunters. Um, this, this mental, uh, breakdown also has to do with, you know, the, probably the wrong mental preparation prior to, um, uh, and it happens 
even to experienced hunters, in my opinion. Um, when, when you talk about success, we don't often take the time to define what success is going to be like for each hunter when we head out to the mountain. What are we defining success for the hunt, you know? And, you know, normally, and the most common thought process of success is us harvesting an elk. Um, but I think, you know, you we sometimes have to set realistic expectations, especially being first-time elk hunters. And, um, you know, that's something that I saw this year with, with, uh, with the team that we coached is that, you know, I saw success in how much they progressed and they learned, um, in, in, in the six, mountains. Yeah. In the six days they I, were I saw, I saw success in the relationships and the camaraderie that was built at camp. You know, uh, it, there, there were a lot of places to where we could see success and, and, and so that also helps your, your mental, um, state during the hunt. It's just understanding that, you know, what may not look like a successful trip is actually being successful. And Joe, you, you and I had a conversation about this because, you know, it's, you know, I told you at camp, I was like, man, you know, it's, it's just hard to, to change that mindset of, you know, even though we're not harvesting at this point, we're still being successful, you know, and you told me, yeah, I'm, I'm past that. You know, I'm, I'm seeing these guys improve greatly and, and learn the calling and, and all that. And, and so, so I, here's the struggle though, bro, is that, yeah, this is where I struggle with that is that was the, that's the goal of what we do with an, an elk bros coach camp. It's about taking people at a certain skill set and raising their skill set, teaching them how to elk hunt. So for us to look at that, that's a success. Still for me, when I don't go out, I, and you said something about the realistic goal. I want every first year elk hunter to have the realistic goal of being able to harvest an elk. I think that is yeah. very realistic. It is a reality that can happen. It's a reality that you can do. It's an, a reality that isn't going to happen by luck. It's not going to happen by make believe. It's going to happen because you put the work, you go out. It might be that because you put yourself in the right place at the right time, it could be like Adam last year kills on the first day, comes out this year and finds out, Oh my God, you know, 15 days later. Yeah. Well, Luis, Luis didn't say realistic goal. He said realistic expectation. And I think, and I was going to say, I was going to okay. say you should have a tempered expectations, right? But yeah, the goal should always be I'm going in the woods and I'm killing this bull. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think, I think, I think you I hit think the, Luis on the head there, guy. I think Luis would agree with that, but I do think 100% that expectations need to be tempered, right? Especially when it's your first shot out. Right? I, I think you have to go in the woods with a, with a hunter's mentality, yeah. not, not a, it's already like, I think a lot of people go in there that this is going to happen, period, end of discussion, instead of realizing the work that goes into that to make it happen. Yeah. My, my, my point is if, if you don't harvest, don't let that break you. No, absolutely. It's, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. If you, if you're day three, day four and you're not harvesting yet, that shouldn't break you because then you should also look at everything else that's been a success on that front. And if that's you're hard frustrated, to do. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. If you're frustrated yeah. elk hunting by day three or four, mm -hmm. then you need to Evaluate. dig deeper and figure out why you're out there, right? Because well, day three or four, there should not be any frustration on the mountain. I'm sorry. 
Look, I mean, I can. I just fourteen days is my mark, right? That's when it starts. A lot of guys don't have fourteen days; they got five. I understand that, but three to four days with a tempered expectation, understanding how GD hard it is to go out there after these animals. And yes, there are people that that'll kill a bull in the first day, right? But three or four days, we, we, Luis talked about mental preparation prior to season, right? It has to be, this is going to take me X amount of days. This is the time I have on the mountain. Go ahead, Big O. Sorry. I'm All sorry. right. I just, what I want to say is I go back to the fishing mentality, man. I'm only as good as the area I'm in, right? And if it's void of elk, bro, I don't care what your expectations are. You got right. to, oh, you got to get the, Heck out of Dodge and go hunt elk. If you're frustrated by day three, you need to change something. Yeah. I mean, if you're not in encounters. Your mindset. Yeah. You're not (laughs) in encounters. Coach, I got a question for you. So along the subject, tell me what age has done for you. So you've been doing this for, you said, I think 40 years. I heard something like that. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And he started when he was 40. I don't know how old Chavez is and I don't, RC, I don't know how old you guys are, but tell me a little bit about your experiences on the mental, this mental subject from, from where you were and kind of where you're at. Have you, what's your experience been on just the, the mental fatigue or, you know, I've seen every rodeo, so I'm moving on getting the next mountain ridge. Just tell me what you guys have experienced personally. So for me, oh. uh, go ahead, Chap. I was just going to say that, uh, well, RC and I are 71. Young guys. <laughs> so, so we've been out there a, a while. And uh, a lot of it is is if you prepare yourself uh, physically and you, you have enough equipment to do the job. It's just a matter of, of getting out there and, you know, not necessarily put in tons of miles or getting far away from people, but uh, observing is probably the, the main thing. Try and find some type of sign somewhere. Cause somebody mentioned it earlier. Uh, if you have 20, 20 days to hunt, there's a 15 second window that you may get an opportunity. So you just have to be ready. And, uh, if you're out there and you haven't had success, you know, like, like somebody mentioned previously also is try a different area, then come back to that area if you need to. And, uh, you know, basically, uh, if you need that rest, take a day off, take a morning off or, or an afternoon off and, and get out there. But, uh, the whole thing is just to strive to be successful. And in a lot of it, there is a luck factor in there. No matter how much you prepare, there's always a luck factor. And somebody will tell you, well, I've, I've prepared so much that I know I'm going to kill one. But for every, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. There's a chance that that 15 seconds will, will come on the first day, but, uh, you may not connect. So, you know, to me, it's just, uh, as I've gotten older, I just enjoy being out there, and I know if I place myself in the right uh, opportunity, if I get that right opportunity, or I used to say that, I can't do that anymore. Now I, I have to be patient and just wait, you know, uh, on a ground blind or, or a regular blind, and and that takes a lot also because you got to sit there for hours at a time, and you may not see anything, so you just got to learn to be patient. 
And I don't know if I answered a question or just rambled on, but, you know, that's how I see things now. Well, I just think that way we deal with frustration when we're, you know, 20 or 30 years different, you know, age. If we dial it back to 30 years ago and then you look at yourself now, just wondering how you guys have transitioned on the mental, you know, mental frustration if something doesn't work. Is it easier to deal with now versus when it was? Just how have you guys matured through that or changed through that? I think the experience your experiences really you dive into that experience level right we know that you you understand the habitat a little bit better you understand the unit that you may be hunting in a little bit better um all of those things go into play to you being successful on the harvest but even in the very best units where there's tons of elk and lots of bulls you can still run into some of these mental challenges that can that can yeah. get after you right whether whether it's an errant shot or whether it's a you know blown opportunity because the wind changed on you i mean there are all kinds of things in in archery elk hunting that we don't really have control over right we can so, only so, control the controllables and at the end of the day right. at the, you know Carl Gamage used to say that if you didn't harvest him, it just wasn't that animal's day to die, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, I feel like when the stars align, that's when it's going to happen for you. But you're definitely rewarded putting that work in, right? I believe that. I believe I believe that karma comes around, right? And and you're rewarded, with, from, that you're rewarded with that grind, right? Aside, aside from from understanding your expectations – Part of that mental preparation, I think, also has to do with your preparation in general prior to the hunt. And I'll I'll give you a, a big example, right? Um, you know, if if you don't have a spare tire and you blow a tire on the road, yeah. you're going to be in a very stressful situation because now you don't have a tire and you have to figure a way to get a tire to bring that by, tire back to the to to your vehicle right that sucks that puts your mind at stress you're not prepared for that situation it's no different than preparing for an elk hunt you know like being prepared having that tire as a backup tire and then having a blowout blowout goes i know what i'm doing yeah i'm going getting a tire swapping it out and then the next stop i'm buying a new tire and i'm on my way here, I was facing a problem. I had, I, I was expecting a potential problem like that, and I was prepared to have a solution for it. That reduces your levels of stress, and it's no different in preparing yourself for an elk hunt, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna encounter situations that are gonna be challenging. You're gonna encounter situations where, like you said, we're gonna be in an area there's no elk here, but I know. At that point, I, I already have a plan B or a plan C to make a move to look for a different area to try to be successful, successful in a different area. So to me, that part of that mental preparation and the planning process helps with keeping your, you know, a certain level of anxiety down, um, when you are encountering these difficult, difficult situations oh, I, that may pop up. If I can, man, I'm, Look, I've always hunted with a chip on my shoulder. I've always felt like I was the dude that people always said you couldn't do something. And I've just always enjoyed just proving people wrong. I don't care what it is. And, and I, I talk about the unicycle mentality, you know, where, um, 
you, you're given something and somebody says you just can't going to do it. And I'm going to bang up my friggin' ankles. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to get bruised. I'm going to get beat, but I'm going to find a way to do that. So I think my mentality when I've been hunting <clears throat> is that I refuse to lose and I find a way. I'm, you know, if, if plan A, if this isn't working this way, well, then I'm not going to keep trying to shove that square peg in a round hole, man. I'm either, I'm going to find another way to do this. If, if that means finding another area, if that means finding a different type of style, a different strategy, if that means just a slowing down and really looking at things better instead of, you know, hunt, if, if it means hunting the elk instead of hunting bugles. And I say that all the time. I think a lot of people set themselves up for frustration because it's kind of like this thing. I heard the saying all the time that, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, did it really fall? Well, I kind of take that the other way around, Mm -hmm. man, is that if, Nobody heard a tree fall. Is there a tree in the forest? Well, there must not be. And I think a lot of people elk hunt like that. They're like, if I don't hear an elk, there's no elk here. They associate that with that, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's where they're setting themselves up and sure. actually missing a lot of things. So for me, you ask about the frustration thing. My mentality is it is what it is. Like I've gotten better as I've gotten older in that I really enjoy seeing other people succeed. But there's still a part of me that if I don't get to feed that beast, then something is missing in me for that year. I actually get a type of depression. I oh, get this type of man, thing Lewis where and I talked about, we've been depressed for two weeks, you know, where you can't get in that hunt mode. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it, it happens like that. So I think for me is I've always hunted elk with everybody saying that it's not going to happen, that I'm not able to do it. And that has basically been my driving force because nobody else expects it to happen. You know, it's it's almost like uh, athletes that I had is I try to teach athletes to do what they do because they love it. Do it for the competition. Do it because they love the thrill of the challenge between you and either that that time or that device or instead of. Because other people say you can do it. I don't want to hunt because people think I can kill elk. I don't want to hunt because people want to see me kill elk. I want to hunt elk because that is what I do for my soul out there that is something that is important to me to accomplish and to be able to do and put food on my table, fill my soul up in here, experience the outdoors, and do something that most people are not able to do or don't believe I can do. But your plan today is so much different than your plan when you first started elk hunting. I, I don't know. Oh, it is because it's refined. It's refined because of the technology that you have. Yeah. We have better tools. We have better uh ways of e-scouting. Now, there's just so much. But, things. but so sometimes, many, and I'll tell all the it, listeners, sometimes that becomes a distraction. Yes. But every in a fight, everybody's got a plan to <clears throat> Punched in the mouth. Right. 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 Everybody's got to punch right in the face, right? So, again, man, if you, if you ain't got a, you're going to fight, man. If you ain't got the plan right, being punched in the face is horrible. Right. You know? So, again, you got to understand it. I feel like 14 years ago, I mean, I wasn't even an elk hunter and I was a dead gum whitetail hunter coming mm. up. 
to the flat to the big mountains in New Mexico, and right. yeah, I could shoot a bow, but big deal, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't make a sound. I I needed somebody on my hip with me, and I needed somebody to carry my fat ass. But, but, up but see, we're talking about you know? you're talking about skill sets now, and what we're trying to do is we're talking about where we saw the things that cause mental problems for people. We saw this year, this season, the or cost you, yeah, that caused them problems. The the skill set was huge that caused them mental problems because they figured out, oh, man, I really ain't ready for this. Right. So, again, it's the man, like Luis said, it's managing the expectations. And and I think I think we do a good job of that. I think we've got some of the best coaches in the world, but guys that have never done this before. It hits them in the face like a crappy mop on day two or day three. What's the one thing everybody has heard? What's the one thing everybody's heard from? I mean, you can talk to people in Colorado, Wyoming, wherever, and everybody that's hunting, I hear the same consistent theme. Yes. What what is it? I don't hear. I'm not hearing any elk. The elk aren't talking. Yeah. They're still there. (laughs) They're there. (laughs) Yeah. So, so basically, you can you can people that are not hearing elk are already con- conceding. Yeah, man. Right. You know. Yeah, and that right. can't be that. That can, as an archery elk hunter, first or second split, you can't concede that. Yeah. You just got to know that's part of the game, right? That's part of the game we play. It, pressure will drive that. Pressure will drive them to be quiet. Uh, high pressure will drive things to where you can't hear them as far. Barometric pressure. Bar- exactly what I'm that. talking about. Well, I, I mean, I regardless. Barometric. So that, that begs the question in terms of what's the most important thing when we go out in the woods. And to me, it would be repertoire, right? Is everybody thinks you got to be able to call elk. There's a ton, ton of guys every season that are spot and stalk on elk. You know, find an elk, how to locate elk, things like that. I mean, it's all boots on the ground. So your repertoire has to be broad because you, you, man, we did, I hardly heard anything, but we were finding them first day. We didn't hear anything. And uh, look at all those bulls. Let's call one in. Guy, guy, I think the other thing is just collective wisdom. I mean, I think what a lot of us have learned over time and, you know, they go, I'll I'll talk about the fishing thing. I think it's just, you know, it's the collective wisdom to know what plan B is and plan C is and plan D is based on what you're, what you're sensing. And I think that wisdom of what you guys are doing on the show and how you're coaching, it's these first time, second time, third guys that just don't, there's only one way to get experience, right? It's yes. by being out there. And there's a lot of education, way more than we, we didn't have YouTube growing up. So we didn't have any of that. So I think the wisdom and knowing how to adjust. Um, when conditions, you face conditions and knowing you've been down that road, you've seen it, you know what, exactly. learn to change, how to your presentation, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is what is irreplaceable is time and feel, which equals wisdom, yeah. failures, uh, wisdom, success, wisdom, success. Aaron, and, and you're spot on. So actually that was kind of one of my observations this year. And I was talking to RC at camp about this because, you know, I feel like, you know, we put, we put a lot of time with, with the guys that we were coaching prior to the hunt, you know, I think, I think what, you know, Joe's vision of the coached hunts, you know, one of the best things about it is that it does, doesn't only concentrate of coaching people boots on the ground, but it concentrates a lot on preparation before on all aspects, 
right? And so, um, you know, there's, there's material out there. There's the academy. There's all the one-on-one conversations. There's all the questions that come prior to the hunt. So, I mean, if, if a guy is really wanting to absorb all the material on all the information prior to the hunt to be very prepared for the hunt, um, you know, they can absolutely do that. But then when it comes to actually applying that in the field, it, man, it doesn't matter how much preparation you, you may have or you may not have. There is going to be a, a challenging gap there. So when I was telling RC, uh, it was to me is like, okay, when you train a pilot, you give him the entire manual, you put him through hours of simulator, you, you know, you, 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 you teach him all these things, but are you going to give him a plane to fly by themselves right off the bat? No. I mean, they first are a co-pilot and then, you know, eventually they become a pilot, right? I mean, so I felt like there were similarities to that with the guys coming at, uh, at camp and then actually, because you would ask them questions and then they would have the right answers, but they just, you know, we're trying to establish that link between the right answer and how it had applied in the scenario that they were facing at the moment. So what happened though was in, in, and where that was benefit is the transition from where they're having difficulties to now figuring out or adding or molding that was elevated because they did have a knowledge set where some people are going to go out there for 15 years and not get to that point. So it, it, we create yes. a baseline that they were able to adapt with, right? And start to learn their problems were systemic, though. I mean, every exactly. one of them had almost the same thing. Same. Well, a, a big a big problem, too, is Luis said, you know, all that information out there for prep, and we had more than one of the campers um Say that they basically they didn't know how to decipher or meander through all of that information and what should they be bringing in? What should they leave home? So, I mean, yeah, it's good that it's all out there, but man, how do you, how do you work your way through so much? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think Luis, uh, uh, was right saying that uh, we have to define pretty well what what success means because in order to be called a hunter you have to understand the woods you have to enjoy the process you have to be able to accept accept the uh the the, the failure not harvesting an animal because yeah. it's 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 really hard hunting elk it's it's a it's a i mean this this year we we um I, I took my father and I would say my father is one of the most experienced hunters I ever met in my whole life. And I've been hunting since I was born. And he was upset because we saw 22 elk. So, and we, we couldn't close the deal. So even my father got upset, upset. So, and I think it's really important as a coach, we have to explain extremely well to the the uh, young generations that these things will happen and 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 they have late to... gratification is a real thing. Yes, yes. So it's really important, and I and I got that uh, sense uh, from these guys that they were like, you know, eager to kill an elk. Okay, yeah, there's a huge possibility that you can put it in your mind, but it takes time. Most of the time. 
You will not kill an elk. Here. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So, yeah, yeah, I understand you have to that, have that mentality, but it takes time. It's You have to be uh, in the right place, the right moment, and have the right uh, mindset in everything online in order to have, uh, harvest an elk. So it's, it's, it's uh, I, in my opinion, I think it's really important to, uh, like, uh, touch bases with the uh, defined success. And and you can hear all, a lot of people saying this. So those people that are out there, you need to be able to work to be able to prove anybody that says that wrong. You have to be able to work and develop the things that are going to, if you want to go out there that first year and kill an animal, can it happen? Yes. Um, are the odds against you? According to everybody, they are. Do you have to believe that? No, you don't. But it, there's no magic wand. I mean, just no. because, you know, I say you can go out there and kill one in the first year doesn't mean you're going to show up and it's going to happen. Look, I can take, I can take most hunters and put them in the best elk unit there is and they won't kill an elk. I can take some of the best elk hunters and put them in some of the worst elk units there are and they'll kill an elk. Why is that, right? So it's, it's skill set. Yeah. It's mentality. Huh? It's experience. experience. It's want to, it's, it's, it's a combination of all of them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, your dad, your dad came in Manana with zero level elk hunting Mm -hmm. knowledge of any kind, right? So for him and all of his hunting throughout his life, you know, if he was to come in now, he could take some of that once he got some of those skills and once he got some of that knowledge and start translating that in just like you have. I mean, yeah. dude, you were a killer because you were a great hunter and you add a little bit of knowledge and that makes you lethal, right? So, you know, I, that's what, 
everybody listening here, for your mentality, you have to have, number one, a mentality that you're in the woods because you love to be there. If you're there because you love to be there, no day is a grind. It's hard, but it's the hardest work you'll ever love, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. That's really important. Extreme export. You you gotta love the process of elk hunting. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And you have to know that it is a process. You have to know that there are going to be days that you're not going to get a lot of sleep. The food's going to And, it, and it's a process them. that starts way before food never the hunt. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Our food never And sleep. and after the hunt. <laughs> Yeah. It's a process that it's just not while you're hunting. It's a process that starts before and after. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but you know, you can take somebody who loves and understands the woods, understands the animal, and there are people that don't, because they have that ability, have that knowledge, and they have those skill sets, they don't have to work at it all year long. They can do other things right. and go out there and, and check refocus and go out in the woods and, and get it done because they have that package, right? right? You know, people that don't have that package, you have to develop that. You have to find your weaknesses. You have to find your shortcomings. You have to identify possible failure points and you have to eliminate them. And you I got to be honest about those things, Jojo. Absolutely. More, first and foremost. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't be a Mariah Carey in your own shower with calls, right? right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was what we had. Finger off. Yeah. You know, I mean, finger. (laughs) We heard worse getting bit off. (laughs) Look, I have gone through. I've gone through all these years not thinking I was a good elk caller, right? Even though I was bringing elk in and killing them, I never went. I was a great elk caller. I used calls to call in elk. It wasn't about me being a great elk caller. It was about me being able to use them to bring an animal in to kill that animal, right? So. You know, that is what you got to be able to do is you got to learn those processes. You got to learn those behaviors and then you have to apply them. But I'm just telling you, man, your mentality has to be that everybody thinks that this stacked against you and you got to go in like that. You got to go in like Rocky and an underdog and you have to prove people wrong or prove yourself correct that you can get this done and you can make it happen. Yeah. I mean, look, if I, if I, if I would have harvested that, that first bull, I shot with you, Joe, that first, that first shield, you know, that could have gone two ways. That could have, you know, definitely set the hook quicker on me, you know, wanting to elk hunt (laughs) for the rest of my life, or it could have ruined me to where like, Oh, this was too easy. You know, check, check the box. I'm, I'm out. But even the fact that that it took me four years. I'm sorry, bro. You had to have somebody to put you in that position at the time. Now yeah. you're putting yourself yeah, in that. That's, yeah, but that's what I mean. So, it, it, you know, the fact that it, it it was even with all that help, it was so challenging for me to kind of get it done. It took me, you know, the fourth season is it when it happened. I mean, I think that the drive of proving to myself that I could get it done it is what pushed me to yes. understand understanding my weaknesses and working on them year on year, you know, and trying to, okay, well, this year, this, this is fixed. Now I need to work on that. Now, now I need to work on this, um, you know, something else like guys saying, you know, I had to be honest with myself and realize what my failure points were. I still have tons of them. Right. So it's, it's a grind. Like I said, it's just, you're still working on that before the hunt and you're still working on that after the hunt. I mean, it just doesn't, it, 
to me, it's a never ending process. That's part of the mindset that you have to have. Even when you go out there, it's like, okay, my mind is now clear. I'm enjoying this process. And what am I going to learn from this hunt? And you know, how am I going to enjoy it the most? What are the things that pissed me off last year that I, because the mountain will bring the best and the worst in you. <laughs> it, Every week it will make you work in your personality and in the things that are wrong deep inside you, like no other place. It'll, and it'll, yeah, that's sure. why Luis and I fight it every time because part, not the part of part of him. Part of what it's super cool to me about elk hunting is how it's not only a fight to harvest or to become a better hunted. Hunter is also a fight to become a better person. Ah, agree. Oh, I, I, I have to be a good elk hunter. I, I suck as a person. Sorry, <laughs> know what that, where that goes. But, but, but you, but you, but you've learned that in the mountains because we tell you. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. RC, <laughs> I mean, you've been listening a lot there, bud, and I've seen the, I've seen the wheels turning. So, what you got to say? Well, you know, he asked about. uh the years, and I think one of the things that I would have to point out to uh, early hunters or any hunter is that I think what I've learned is getting into situations and you go, okay, I've been here before. This ain't going to work. I'm going to have to do something different. I think that comes from lots of experience. You're going to have lots of encounters. I think about the coaching that we had this year these guys, uh, I think they all had some kind of opportunity to where, you know, we, the year before we, we had the, what we call the, the three foot step, you know, where we could have killed several bulls. But I think that what is important. Yeah. I think what's important is that you, Continue to grind. And when I, when you, when I consider grind, I think about all the things that you're going to learn and you take and you put them in your hat. And pretty soon you have a big hat that's got a lot of knowledge. So then you can work at different things and get things done. So, but that's kind of where I'm at is that don't beat yourself up if you miss a shot or the wind beats you, or there's a lot of things out there that you're going to have to encounter before it's actually going to happen. Yeah, RC, what would you tell yourself? Is that what you would tell the 30-year-old RC? What would you tell that guy that's sitting there 30 years younger? What would you tell that guy based on where you're sitting at now? Don't give up. (laughs) Don't give up. I, you know, I, I have a, a, a real funny story because, uh, I have a 378 bull hanging in my house that I shot with my recurve at eight steps. You know how many years it took me to do that? I mean, probably 25, 30 years of close encounters, slinging arrows. I never touched an animal. I've killed several animals, but prior to that, I mean, I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, it was my, it was like 
like they say, Carl used to say it was his time to die. And, uh, that's what I would just tell somebody that a young, <laughs> young person, don't give up. I mean, you know, you're going to kick the rocks and, and be discouraged, but don't give up. It, it will happen eventually. Um, I, I think I'd just like to tell a lot of those, our listeners out there too, is that don't think that the only response you're getting when you're hunting elk is a bugle. You know, yeah. um, that just because you didn't hear an elk doesn't mean that they're not there. And elk respond by coming in. And there's other techniques and other skill sets that you can learn to be able to bring elk to you instead of you just hiking and hoping out there. And that was one thing that Cody the Kid said was that just don't hike and hike, but be an effective hunter at every moment you're in the field. Don't beat yourself up. Be an effective hunter every minute that you're in the field. So be efficient and and effective. And that does not mean, and I really think a lot of people's mental errors out there is because they're not hunting the animal, they're hunting a bugle. And and that's the only response that you're accepting as to being elk hunting. And that's not the only facet of elk hunting. So um, it's a great one. It's awesome. It's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Um, but th- that's not the only thing you need to be successful out there. So I, I just want to make sure that they hear that a lot. You know, and, you know I, I, as far as kind of back to RC and Aaron's comment, you know, of, you know it, it, understanding and enjoying the hunt. I mean, I was craving, I, I got to say it in New Mexico, I was craving the camp time. Um, the, the, the last day where we had to get together with the barbecue and, you know, we, we gather around the, the, the campfire. I mean, it felt great. I, I, I was craving that. I wish we would have had more of that, you know, and, and so, you know, be, being able to enjoy those moments, um, uh, and, and get your head, your mind off of, the hunt for a little bit and enjoy what's around you and, and, and get to meet the people and, and, and build those bond, the, the bond with, with the people that you're sharing camp with. It's, it's, it's beautiful, man. I mean, that's, that's, I, you know, I miss, I miss, I missed a lot of that in the New Mexico hunt because we were day in and day out, you know, hunting hard and, uh, that's necessary in my opinion. It, it goes back to what I value on the hunt. That's I learned this year. That's one of the things I value. Yeah. And let's face it, this is a, this life's a flash in the pan. So anytime I guess at the yeah. end of the day you get to spend time in the woods in September, yeah. uh, regardless yeah. of the grind, which is important, yeah. it's yeah. like it's pretty precious because the time yeah. the time is short. Dudes, you guys yeah, all know you. that, man. It gets shorter yeah. and shorter the older you, you get, dude, man. Yep. Well, Joe, this has been a heck of a series to start off with, especially I... on the mental side of everything. Aaron, it's been amazing to have you with us, uh, mm-hmm. and, and join the crew. Uh, as you can tell, these guys are super passionate about, yeah. about hunting and, 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 and I what want, we do here. You well, know? With this conversation that we had, I want all of us to digest a little bit just because you know, this is the series when we come, you know, it doesn't mean we have to jump to the next one. I want you to think about some of this, develop some of the things that you might feed off of it. And if there's something that we want to bring up at the beginning of the next one that we do this, 
I, I honestly think that the mental aspect of the hunt is probably the most critical for people to be successful out there. Yeah. I, I think it is the driving thing. I think it's the thing that fills your soul. Uh, I think it's the thing that keeps you from burning and crashing or succeeding mm-hmm. out there and continuing. I so. had, I had 12 hours in front of me today, windshield time. So I do a lot of goal casting and stuff like that when I'm listening to, uh, you know, people that are, that are, uh, that are motivational speakers or whatever. I listened to Frank Mir today, who was an MMA heavyweight champion. And Frank Mir said, he goes, I'm the baddest guy in my, in my group every day, right? I'm going to kick everybody's butt. I didn't have no, I was much bigger, much faster, much stronger than everybody until I got in with a crew like this crew, right? They're the baddest in the planet. I hunt with the baddest guys in the planet. And, and here's, here's how I'll equate that. Frank Mir said, I had no level of quit when I, when I overpowered everybody. But as soon as I got in the cage with a Cain Velasquez or somebody like that, oh, my bitch ass quit like that. He said they would push me to levels that I had no idea that men could push their bodies. He said, everybody's got a plan till you get punched in the face and by somebody who's a lot bigger and meaner than you are. Right. And you guys are what drive me. Right. And you guys are what make me stronger. This group makes me stronger. Right. So there, I can't quit. Right. Y'all won't allow that. Right. Uh, my peers won't allow it. So in this, I, I don't allow it in myself either, but there, it, we have all got that level of quit in us somewhere. Right. We just got to learn how to push it down and, and keep it away. Right. Right. And, uh, Frank Mir was, um, talking about that championship mentality, how it's easy to quit. It's easy to give up. I'm look, he said there were many fights. I was looking for a way out when I got in the UFC because those guys were killing me, you know, so it was easy for me to look for a way out. He said the most proud are some of the losses that I had where I didn't quit. Right. And I got my tail beat, but I never quit. Right. So these are like this year, we got beaten a lot of facets of the game of the Elkhorn game, but we never quit. Right. We kept rolling through sickness, through injuries, through all kinds of different things. And that's what I'm proud of this group for is that none of these guys quit. Right. And, uh, Aaron, um, we love you, Camo, brother, and we can't thank you enough for, for joining us tonight, man. If Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and be sure to include your name and where you're from to get in our spin a winner wheel, right? There you go. In our yep. drawing. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbows.com, and uh, if you're interested in outfitters you can look at us look us up at elkbrosadventures.com just a reminder if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show just send your questions to info at elkbros.com that's i-n-f-o at elkbros.com and like we say down in the lone star state husbands kiss your wives wives kiss your husbands Hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much, man. It is so awesome. No, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, Good to meet I you, appreciate man. it. You guys have a great reverence going on, and and that's what I sense from the whole call is the reverence you all have and the passion you have. And thanks for letting me be part of the journey tonight. It was fun, and and uh, it's, it's just great. great. It's just really great, so thank you. 
Awesome. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you, it. Sir. Absolutely. Uh, totally uh, appreciate it. And as we close out the show, we want to add our brother Tony Wintrip from the West up here to close out our show with some more music, brother. Tony. Tony peace, peace, everybody. C-W. Have a good night. We hooked up Bye-bye. on a Friday night for a popcorn and a Pepsi. I ain't much of a city boy, but I'll see how far it gets me. Yeah, we talked of how we grew up and how we both were raised and things that meant the world to us and how we'd spend our days. And I said, just so you know, there ain't no surprise. These six words from my heart may open up your eyes. Girl, you're gonna miss me, miss me.
Live my life forever. 